We are Tim and Michelle Hill with Connect Over Coffee, and this is Midlife Realigned. A series of conversations about navigating all the things midlife, helping you live a meaningful second half. We kicked off this podcast in probably the worst way ever by focusing on a topic that's important, but that no one really wants to talk about. And then we kept talking about it for like two months. It probably wasn't a very smart marketing move, but long term for people looking for some help dealing with loss and grief, we really hope this will be a great resource. We're using the start with the hard stuff theory, so it should all be easy from now on, right? Yeah, maybe not quite all, but it's getting easier. Let's just (laughs) (laughs) say that. It's getting easier. That's true. So it's all downhill from here. No, no. No, no. It's uphill from here. No, it's just new heights. We'll take it to new heights. But the whole reason we think this topic is important is that because midlife, we deal with so many different types of losses. It's common to lose jobs, lose parents, lose our kids to their adulthood and the empty nest thing. We may have friends who die, or we may experience a move to a different city after we put down roots somewhere. Yeah, and then there's the losses that we begin to feel as we age and as we begin to look at the time we have left and how our lives either meet or don't meet our expectations. Learning to handle these types of losses is important for making it through this part of adulthood in a healthy way. I know I learned a ton and I started thinking of things a little bit differently. So we hope this series has been helpful for you also. If you jumped in on this episode first, it might be worthwhile to go back through the series. It's a six episode set that is episodes four, five, six, and eight, nine, ten. We took a little break on episode seven, so it doesn't quite fit in with the rest. But today we want to give you a wrap up of the things that we consider most important in the series and things that we've personally taken away from it. And then we're going to close with an actionable list of some things that you can do to prepare for loss. Here are a few things that we thought were really important to understand from the series. First, loss and grief are part of our lives. We cannot escape them and we really shouldn't want to, but it is possible to experience them in healthy ways. Second, we all experience grief differently, and it's important to allow ourselves and others to have their own journey. Third, there are things that we can do to prepare for a family death and other kinds of loss. Fourth, there are things we can do during grief to intentionally move through the process. And lastly, death is a natural part of life, and treating it as an enemy or hidden or as frightening really isn't helpful for anyone. Now that last one, that's what had the biggest effect on me during our conversations. Here's my first personal takeaway. Our culture in the U.S. ignores, hides, and stigmatizes talking about death. And that's not the only way to handle it. We tend to think the way that we do things in whatever culture we're in is the only way to do it. Or maybe that's just the nature of the American self-centric attitude. I'm not sure. But either way, the realization that we have options that our culture has an option on how to think about death and grieving was something that I needed to learn or remember. I think it's important and helpful to learn and see how other cultures treat death and dying. That way, the more we know, the better we can deal with it ourselves and with our families and our loved ones and take what aspects of those cultures, what works for us and incorporate it into a system for us to experience death and dying. Right. Like Emily Vass, who we spoke to three times in this series, said, 10 out of 10 of us die. That's true across every culture in all time. But 
how we treat death is different. She was coming from a North American indigenous cultural perspective, which is totally different than mainstream American. But that's not the only different one. For example, the difference between two North American bordering nations, the U.S. and Mexico, is pretty different in their approach to death. Hispanic and Latino cultures tend to have a general acceptance of death as a natural part of life and have less of an attempt to, air quote, protect children from this reality of death. That there are other, maybe healthier ways to deal with death than to avoid, hide, and stigmatize it, I think is really important to understand because until we learn that there's an alternative, we have no reason to do anything differently. Yeah, that's true. If you, if you don't know there's another way, you don't try another way. I mean... <laughs> right. No better, do better. But if you don't know, you can't, you can't do. do. <laughs> well, my first personal takeaway take was that there are things we can do to prepare for a family death or the choices around the deaths. And I have a couple of examples of this, one from mom and one from dad. A few years before dad actually passed away, he was having a few health issues, but nothing serious yet. Um, he'd always had some heart trouble, and his diabetes was starting to give him some serious trouble. And they were traveling, and Dad started having some heart trouble. And he had to go to the hospital in an emergency, and then he fell into a coma unexpectedly. Luckily, he was actually visiting his nephew, my cousin, who was a great doctor, so he was at Shannon's hospital. And they were having trouble treating his heart and his diabetes because the meds he needed for his heart would mess up his diabetes, and the meds he needed for his diabetes would mess up his heart. So they really were trying to balance these things. And then he, he got even worse. And then he got to put, had to be put on life support. He was on there for a couple of days. And Shannon said, he can't stay on this too long or his body will get too dependent on it. And then it'll be even harder to take him off of it. So he asked us what we wanted to do. Take, it, take him off the life support system and see if he recovers or or dies, or leave him on it indefinitely and and see what happens there. At that point, mom and dad had never talked about life support or, or anything like that. So mom, my sister, and I had to decide for him. I mean, it was hard. I remember sitting there in the, in the waiting room of the hospital, having those hard discussions, trying to figure out what dad would, wanted, would have wanted, and, and we decided to take him off the life support. We figured he did not want to be living only supported by the machine. So the good news is he recovered and he lived several more years, but we did talk to him and put things in place for this in case it happened again. And then we also did it for mom as well. Uh, he actually apologized for putting us through that. You know, he didn't think about that. It's not, yeah, he didn't do it on purpose or anything. He just hadn't, hadn't thought about it. Luckily, we did make the right decision. We agonized over it. So having those things in place can save the family hard emotional stress when something unexpected does happen. How old were you when that happened? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I hadn't thought. <laughs> and I can't do the math. Sure. I was in my 30s, maybe. Oh, okay. So you were an adult. You weren't a child. Right. No, no, no. Uh, yeah, I was either late 20s, early 30s, something like that. That It is a lot of hard emotional stress that we can take away from our loved ones with just a little bit of advance preparation. And I may not have it available when this episode goes live, but within a week, we'll add a list of the most important decisions that you need to make and a few resources to give you some direction as you approach this process. And we'll put a link for all of that in the show notes. Great. That's That'll be helpful for sure. The other one was preparing for death in advance, and that is moms. 
because after her death had occurred, and I think I mentioned this in an interview with Emily, my sister and I were getting ready to meet with the funeral director to talk about what Bible verses, what songs, what clothes for the funeral and the viewing and everything, that type of thing. We had no idea what she wanted. So we came up with what we thought she would like, the songs, Bible verses, picked out a couple outfits, and it was it was pretty hard. It was a lot of pressure. You know, we picked songs she thought she would like, and if we picked the wrong song, she might haunt us or something, or it would at least bother <laughs> us, you know, that we picked the wrong song. So the next day we went to the meeting with the funeral director and he pulled out a letter from mom and it had all the details of what she wanted, things we didn't think of. And it was a huge relief. I mean, that pre-planning on her part really made it easier and it took that concern off of our plate. That need to prepare as a way to make things so much easier on our loved ones, that was a really big one for me too. I don't have a great example of that like you do, other than the fact that my whole family went through the process of my parents preparing their will several years ago. They had had a will forever, but it was they went really deeper into it and thought through all the things that each kid should should receive, wanted to receive, and all that kind of stuff. It was hard. It was really hard to take a look at all the things and talk about that and divide it up. But I tell you what, when they die and we don't have to deal with that and we don't have to worry that anybody's going to get offended by things, it's just really simple. We will have all of our emotional reserves available for grieving in a healthy way instead of for messing around with the details and the stress of that. So that need to prepare as a way to make things easy is, is a really big deal. Luckily, my sister and I get along great, but there's so many stories and I know of families that have arguments and fights over who gets what piece of furniture or, I mean, just simple. Families are literally torn apart by that kind of thing. And I think it's, you know, it comes out of the grief and, you know, they don't know what to do with the grief. So they start getting petty or whatever. But if all of that's taken care of beforehand, like you said, then you do have the energy to grieve properly versus it coming out in unacceptable and unfun ways. Yeah, those decisions are hard, even when there's no grief involved. I mean, I know it was a struggle for us. It was There was a couple paintings that my sister and I both wanted for sentimental reasons. And it's just so much easier to do it now, even though it was difficult in the long run. It was so much easier to do it now than it will be to do it then. The other thing that was most helpful for me was the idea of intentionally grieving. It was setting aside a time period to be intentionally sitting with the grief in really actionable, practical ways, and how that's both really important and actually really possible. Emily had a couple examples of the ways her family was dealing with handling the grief of the loss of her father-in-law by doing specific things in his memory. So every week they have Taco Tuesday because he taught her son how to make tacos. And they regularly go horseback riding together because that's what they did with him. And I thought those were really practical and helpful examples of how we can grieve with intention. I like the horseback riding one too because they only did it not very frequently, like once a year with him. But now they do it lots more frequently and they do it in you know remembrance of him and actually you took mine that was the that was the one i really liked <laughs> because doing things they loved eat food that they loved going places that they loved telling stories about them keeping special items you know i have my dad's coffee cup that he drank out of every day i use it on special days or just days that i want to and i sip the coffee think of him it helps me remember the good times to keep his memory alive. 
You're going to cry. I know. All of a sudden that came out of nowhere. <laughs> well, I think that, that it, it's not just the item. I mean, keeping special items is important, but you actually do exactly what she was talking about with us. You use that item and think about your dad and recall the good times. And that's why that emotional response is there, because you are doing that thing. And it's a part of an ongoing uh, grieving process. I even kept, dad smoked for a lot of years and then he quit, but he had a, a black Zippo lighter. And after he passed away, I found it in, in, in his chest, you know, in a little on his dresser. And I kept, and I didn't smoke, but I kept that lighter in my pocket for several months when I'd go to work or go to trade shows and, you know, just reach in my pocket and feel it, even though I didn't smoke. And I don't even think it worked at that point and needed a new <laughs> flint or some, or, you know, fluid or something. But I just kept it for a while. And then at some point I'm like, oh, okay, I'm, I didn't throw it away, but I just didn't carry it with me. Another thing that she talked about was intentionally setting aside some responsibilities and actions in her business for the year following her father-in-law's death because of that grief. And I thought that idea that it's healthy to spend time there in, in that grief and that we don't have to shoulder all the responsibilities that we do at other times, I think that was a really important takeaway for me too. I think it changes the way that I will walk through the loss of a close family member or friend the next time it happens. That's good. Well, since you took my second takeaway, I'll add another. There are people available to help families navigate all the things. So don't do this alone. Get help. Talk to friends. Talk to family, counselors, groups. There's so many resources out there. The coffin clubs that Emily mentioned. There's so much out there. But I do want to mention the other things we grieve. People Losing our loved ones are the big focus, but we do need to mourn and grieve job loss, missed dreams or expectations, our marriage that ended in divorce. You need to mourn that. Relationships. There are all kinds of things that are hard to navigate as well, and there's help for that out there too. Very true. We said that we wanted to wrap up this episode with an actionable list of things that you could do to prepare for loss and grief. So here we go. Four things that you can and should do. First, there are things you can do that will make grieving easier on those around you. Make those arrangements. Have a will in place. Make your preferences known for the funeral arrangements. Think through all the legal and organizational ramifications of your own death. It may not be easy, but it will make life for your family so much easier in their grief. Second, grow your emotional intelligence. Set healthy patterns in dealing with small everyday losses so that when something big goes wrong, your coping mechanisms are already healthy. Like don't go to binge eating or drinking to numb, soothe, or avoid dealing with your emotions. Do the work now to cultivate healthy habits of dealing with those emotions. Third, change the way your family thinks about death. Talk about it, normalize it. It's going to happen. It's going to be difficult, but if you've discussed it and realized the inevitability of it, when it comes, it won't bowl you over in surprise. True. Fourth, become the person who it's safe to talk to about grief. Be willing to let the healing and grief of friends and family be more important than your own fear of being uncomfortable. Learn how and practice how to respond to others who are hurting. You know, I'm sure we've missed many important points yeah. in this six-episode series that we had. But, you know, grief is a moving target. So please go back and listen. Or when the morning is needed, go back and listen. And remember that these are here. They're evergreen. They'll always be here for you. And we hope they will help you when you need it. That wraps this episode and the whole series. 
Today's episode is brought to you by the Morning Moments Matters Box. Which is morning zen in a box. If you're about to walk into a season of crazy before school mornings, this box is one way to bring a bit of peacefulness into the time that you brew your morning coffee. Great coffee and a ritual that engages your body, mind, and heart. You can check it out over at connectovercoffee.link backslash MMM. We are just in the process of our September box promotion, and the theme for September is Be Resilient. So you can check out all the details over there at connectovercoffee.link backslash MMM. Thanks so much for joining us for this conversation. If today's episode has helped you, here's what we want you to do. Think of someone right now who also might benefit from this conversation about grief and then share the show with them. Until next time, stay caffeinated, y'all. There's no chatter on this one. There's no chatter. You have entered the no chatter zone. (laughs) If you're seeking chatter, try our other podcast, Morning Moments Matter. It is chatterful. (laughs) Full of chatter at the end of the episode. Like a little Easter egg just for you. Just for Jared. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's not just for Jared. It's just for all our listeners who stay till the end. Like I said, just for Jared. (laughs) There's more than just Jared. (laughs) And your dad. (laughs) No, come on. We thank both of you for listening. I'm just trying to get you fired up. Get your voice ready. and Get get the energy level up in the building. (laughs) Take one. Imagine if you will. No. That's not where we start. (laughs) I can't help but make chatter. It's just who I am. (laughs) Just the chatterbox. You could take that chatter and put it on the other. I'll put it on this one. No. What do you mean no? No. That's all I got. I'm not chattering anymore.